Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology, and sustainability. Hello, welcome to a podcast by Learn and ONS Energy Talks. My name is Sylvia Seres, our topic is energy, and my guest is Ragni Röhrtveit from Equinor. Welcome, Ragni. Thank you. Uh, you are a graduate engineer, you say, but you have a very fancy role. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, so my name is Agne. I've been in Equinor now for a year and a half. I'm part of the graduate program, which entails that I get to shuffle around between positions. So I got my degree from Antenu in marine technology, so basically a naval architect. Uh, my first year I did ship technology, very specific in projects big cool scopes that Equinor do with all their ships. And now I'm in crude uh, shipping operations. So now I'm trying to get the tankers to go to the offshore fields to load at the appropriate time and get make sure none of the fields run full, basically. So oil tankers is what oil I tankers. should be thinking now. Yep, crude tankers, the big, large ones that are shuffling around. But I work strictly with the northwest Europe part segment. So not all over the world, but just the ones that go to the offshore fields. They're called shuttle tankers because they shuttle to and from the oil fields. They they drive the oil or they yes. drive something else? They take the oil, so they go out to the fields and then they load from the fields. So the fields will hold a certain amount of oil, but they need to be uh, unloaded before they kind of run full because then you have to kind of minimize production. So, so, to, so they're storage offshore and then we come with a large tank ship and take that oil off of them and transport it to market to where our traders have sold that specific cargo. Oh, you drive it all the way or you take it to a certain pipeline? No, we take it to the market wherever it that specific cargo has been sold. So that varies. For us, it's typically Rotterdam, but it could also be our own refineries and Mongstad mm. and Kalenburg and um, the UK. But how, how big is one of these? 270 meters long. So they're pretty big, but not the biggest ones in the world. How much oil goes into one of them? Um, 800,000 barrels, approximately. Varies between six, 700 and roughly above a million. So pretty large scale. Yeah. I can't even think in barrels, but I'm thinking huge. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking huge as well. And when you start kind of uh, estimating the value, I was out on one of these and I started estimating the value. And it's just, I'm standing on top of so much money worth of oil that it's just completely unrelatable Insane. to anything yeah. yeah for sure no no smoking on one no of those. smoking for sure <laughs> absolutely and no no cell phones out on deck you can wear a smartwatch no oh. nothing no ignition sources at can all can a smartwatch ignite it, you never know the samsung <laughs> phone suddenly uh, did exactly. so you have so lithium batteries yeah so only explosion proof ah. cameras that works so very different from being on no angry Indian ladies, even. No, pardon? <laughs> no angry ladies, even. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably. As long as they don't ignite, you're good. <laughs> so uh, so I have to ask you about uh, this thing. I, I have, I am, I, I'm not a feminist, but I think more women should study these kinds of things because we need to use all the brains. Why did you choose to study naval engineering and why did you choose to work for an oil company and to work with big oil tankers? Why is it exciting? It's fun. I mean, I've always liked physics and math. I think that kind of needs to be there if you start going into engineering. Um, but I've also always liked the big tangible stuff that you can 
understand why it's wrong. I was never fascinated by the math that if you miss it by 10 to the 15th power, you don't know that it's wrong. I want to understand if it's wrong because it sounds insane. Mm. And that's that's what I'm fascinated about. So that's why I kind of grew towards the shipping industry because the vessels are out there. You can see them. You can understand why is it taking more time, less time. The weather is uncertain and and it needs to be done. And I think that's kind of been driver for me. Very tangible. Very tangible. Mm. That's been kind of the key word. Mm. And uh, just the environment at Antinu with all the engineering students is so great. So uh, even though we were fewer girls than guys uh, still, we were approximately 30% in my year. Uh, the entire culture and the environment is just so good. that, And all the girls who go there are forming a spectacular environment between ourselves so so it's been easy to kind of being a little off one Mm -hmm. obviously when I started working uh I've been working again mostly with men my first apartment with only men over Mm -hmm. 40 so Mm -hmm. I kind of stick out I think it's fun being that kind of odd one because obviously I bring my formal expertise from school but I also know other stuff that's kind of weird like I would make set up a powerpoint presentation completely differently these other guys who've been in the industry for a long time and i feel like it's fun to be able to contribute with more than the strictly professional and obviously they know that the subjects very well so i learned a lot from them but then i could bring other stuff to the table as well I, i think that's the real value here the new perspectives and the the kind of the different ways the different vocabularies almost you know the way you approach a problem the way you challenge established uh, wisdom so um, really important that you continue to dare to do that yeah and I think that's been very they ask that of us as graduates like okay awesome you're new bring in your new perspectives yeah and uh, we we try to do that but it's hard I mean it's a big and established organization there's a lot of structure that you need to adhere to and a lot of normal ways of working and you need to kind of understand it and still question it at the same time so I'm still finding that balance between being the difficult kid and being the good employee. I'll tell you something. I was a difficult kid all my life <laughs> and it costs a lot being that kid and it will continue to cost a lot, mm. but you should never stop Yeah, because I think that's the real value. Mm. And, you know, there are lots of, there is this immune system in both uh, big organizations and very important institutions, which kind of tries to protect itself the way it is and the way it always was. And and you have to keep fighting that, mm. but with style, with love for the organization, okay. with love for the future. Mm. And eventually it always works out. Yeah, And exactly. it's a very fun position to be in, but it's a very hard position to be in. Yeah, I agree completely. And that's the and I feel myself already being more like molded into to fitting and understanding how things work. And obviously this is my first full time job. So I assume this is how all jobs kind of work. But it's and that's what's good about rotating around is that understanding that it's very different now i've shifted 50 meters across the hall and it's night and day (laughs) completely different and that's very interesting and very useful to see for me so um so another thing i'd like to ask you about is you are a naval engineer so that really means you know how to build ships yeah and now you are in the oil business Mm -hmm. And on Antenu, there were people who studied geology and there were people who studied material technology and there are people who studied energy systems and, you know, many other things. Mm -hmm. And you need many of those skills. So how do you you go about learning them on the job or how how do you, because I think every job going forward, every interesting job 
worth having going forward will be very cross-functional. How do you learn what you don't know? I love walking around and talking to people. And the awesome thing about being a graduate also, it's like you get to wear that hat that says, I know something, but most things I have no idea. So I try to shuffle around at work and ask people about their job. How does that work? Right now, I'm in a very commercial environment, which obviously is weird to me. As an engineer, they have a completely different mindset. And I try to nag them on, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you making this? People are always excited about sharing their knowledge. And to me, just digging around and learning new fields and some things that are completely different from the way I'm used to thinking. I think that's very fascinating. So, I mean, Equinor, it's got people with immense skills. Like I'm baffled on a daily basis that what people know. So just start poking, it usually pours out all this new knowledge that's weird to me. But very, very useful. Absolutely. So Ragni, tell us, teach us something about basically technology and energy and markets in change in your particular job and space. So what's what's the most exciting thing about what you do and, and how is it changing? Working in the shipping industry, it's been very set for a long time. Basically, since kind of the beginning of the modern vessel, it's been a lot of the same. Now coming on, we're talking about digitalization and what does that mean? And a lot of new startups and tech companies are trying to solve one or the other of these problems. But it's a complex like industry. What? Uh, like we would, we as Equinor, we don't own any vessels. We are what's called charters. So we lease the vessels from a ship owner. So they do the operation of the actual vessel, make sure they have the appropriate crew, um, all the licenses are in place, all the certificates, all of the, the technical stuff. So we just lease the vessel to say, we need this boat to be here. Um, and be going and finding that link between us as charters and the owners, there's... Uh, the logistics of... Yeah, the but then you have the ship broker in between. And a lot of people consider them to be kind of a wasted kind of element in that supply chain middleman that might be absolutely just just a middleman adding costs Mm -hmm. and uh, without speculating to Mm -hmm. their their usefulness from my part um people have been trying to replace that with an open source like a platform for basically negotiating prices on these vessels so instead of zaneta like uh, stuff yeah that but Mm -hmm. that's strictly um container Mm, container so Mm -hmm. that's not to be tankers, yeah. but that kind of stuff. And that's what people are trying to digitize these days. But the shipping industry is having a hard time adapting to that new way of thinking. And also because there are so many actors and so many links in the supply chain, we're having a tough time replacing one at a time mm. because everyone... It's a systemic change and it's very complex. Yeah, it's hard to find that incremental change because it kind of needs to be disruptive. It needs to be the entire thing because if you change just a little part that's still going to be a useless little part so you need to kind of be able to take a huge enough chunk and you need to find that first mover because the margins are slim so no one wants to give up their tiny little edge to try something new yeah but you see i think that's where you as a as a newbie and equinor <laughs> as a huge purchaser have a very strong edge because I think you have enough purchasing power Mm -hmm. that you can instigate uh, a systemic change. And I think if you change the way you measure your efficiencies, Mm -hmm. and Equinor is one of the most efficient companies in the world when it comes to some parts of oil um, 
services or, or, or uh, operations, uh, you have a huge power to affect. But then the question is, you know, is there enough courage exactly. to, to start doing that? That's very interesting. And that's been why I kind of figured going into shipping in what was then Statoil, now Equinor, is very interesting because this is a huge, uh, huge, a huge customer, basically. And in the upstream segment towards the supply vessels, this has been done. They've said, okay, we're now baselining the bunker consumption of these vessels. If you are able to reduce this, we'll share the gain because we as charters pay for the bunkers. And uh, so there they've actually been able to use their position as uh, a big actor. And we're now going to take on uh, vessels with new kinds of fuels, which is very interesting. So uh, that exactly that part of it is what I've been thinking is very interesting to try to poke the bear a little, see how much, how brave do we dare to be all the while remaining competitive? Because obviously we can't go completely idealistic. It needs to work. It, mm. It's a tight business for us as well. Um, so And you're changing the engine while the airplane is flying in a way. It's, so Yeah, uh, it's kind of that. And but in these vessels also when they're kind of procured, they're in the game for 20 years yeah. at least. So it's a slow change because if you do bring in a new engine running on something else, then it's going to stay for 20 years, but it's going to take 20 years before the ones that are currently there are kind of phased out. The MVGL is working on really cool sensor-based ships classes. So yep. uh, you might be able to flex a little bit on the class and the type and the energy profile and so on. And I yep. think creating this modularity might be super exciting. Absolutely, because now it's very strict and it's very mm. boxed in yeah. and uh, and the, the rules and regulations are very yeah. very precise. I mean, it's dangerous cargo. They're, it's yeah. flammable and everything. So. Yeah. Listen, you mentioned to me that you also like, um, that you're fascinated by CCS and hydrogen. Tell us why. CCS makes perfect sense. Translate for, it first. So, uh, CCS is carbon capture and storage. So basically trying to um, produce energy and then car- capture the carbon right away at the production site. And then re-injecting it back into a well that's as much as i know i'm an outsider in this field uh, as an outsider it sounds like the perfect solution it's like you can still use the same commodities and the same energy sources that we use today we just kind of suck the carbon out of it and that's mm. it sounds very tempting dmagl backs that this kind of it needs to be part of mm. the solution and uh, that's very fascinating and while it sounds like a good idea we also need to realize that this technology is tricky and it's at least expensive so, uh, but if we were able to do CCS in a good way, then we could be able to produce hydrogen from uh, natural gas. And hydrogen is one of the fuels which could potentially be feasible for long haul shipping. Uh, in Norway, we're very good at battery and hybrid ferries and the shorter kind of ship movements. Whereas if you're going to do cross Atlantic, you need to have an energy source that's able to transport that long stretch uh, and hydrogen is one of the potential fuels which could be able to do that but it is an energy demanding energy source it's basically a semi-efficient battery but which is why hybrids might then be a cool part of the solution yeah i mean i don't think no one really knows the solution and that's what's interesting but also once you start doing hybrids and all these complexities you are also adding to the weight of a vessel. You need more structures on board. The machinery grows bigger, and that's part of it because that decreases the payload, the actual part of the vessel where, 
you're able to transport the stuff that you're paid to transport. Uh, so uh, it's a challenge to have enough systems, but not too many because it becomes complex. And the IMO, the International Maritime Organizations have, Organization has uh, all these rules coming into play. The uh, United Nations have theirs, the uh, European Union. We should be careful not to over-regulate in the wrong direction. Yes, and, and when it's slightly different. And that's mm. what's kind of happened in ballast water treatment, mm. for example. The United States have had theirs slightly different from the European Union. So What water treatment? Ballast water treatment. Uh -huh. So that's the water you use to kind of weigh down the vessel when it's empty. Because if it's completely yeah. light, then the propeller, would, the propeller mm. would come out of the water, basically, mm. and it would be unstable. So, but the thing is, they've realized that by shuffling around all this water from one side of the world to the other, you are transporting microorganisms, which is messing the biological environment. Yeah. Yeah. So you, now we need to start treating the ballast water. There has been con a convention and it's been ratified, but the United States has a slightly different, mm -hmm. very, very slightly different wording in their regulations. And that requires a completely different technology yeah. to solve. Global problems can't have local solutions or, yeah, exactly. or different. Um, I heard also that uh, the future of um, transportation, in this case, it was about cars, but I, you know, I think it translates to other branches of transportation is um, electric, uh, um, autonomous and connected. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all of these things come into play, but they can't, uh, they can't be used individually and they can't be used alone in the sense that uh, it's not going to be completely autonomous. It's not going to be completely electric. It's, as you say, it's a very fine balance and we need to find our own mix and cocktail percentages, right? But but so what you're saying is that you're doing this kind of experimentation or at least thinking about these disruptions also in the cargo shipping. Yeah, I think we need to be open to hear because people are coming up with all these cool ideas and we need to be open to hear hear them out, understand why they think this is a solution. Uh, we are not, as Equinor, not going to be the ones driving the shipping change, but we need to be adaptable in terms of fi finding those good ideas. When someone else has them, we have to back it and be able to and dare to kind of go with that and be part of that early movement because there is, we have uh, the kind of structure around our company that's able to sustain trying this mm. um, but it is as you say it's you can't have one single little thing that's working around being connected to itself that doesn't provide much value so uh, it's it's that finding a an entire system that could do this together and do it in an incremental way going towards something bigger which is going to be the challenge we need to dare to be part of the change yep um so I think we're closing with something along those lines. If you think people would um, remember only one thing from our co conversation, what would you like them to remember? Shipping is a part of the world. It needs to be because the commodities aren't where the customers are. And it's a complex system with a lot of actors, but we need to be able to and dare to look for those synergies that are going across the board. Very cool. Ragnir Ertweit, graduate engineer at uh, Equinor. Thank you so much for coming here and inspiring us about energy and shipping. Thank you for listening.